talk for a few minutes about justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. The theology of justice is rooted in the fact that God has a standard by which he expects us to live. God is holy and he expects us to live lives that reflect that holiness. God is perfect. God is complete. God is without flaw. And his expectation of us is that we will be perfect, complete, and without flaw. Jesus taught in Matthew 5 and 48 that we are to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. The message translation of that passage is this. Grow up your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. And that's significant because it helps us to understand that God's expectation of us is directly related to how we treat one another. Love for one another is the standard. It's how God intended for us to live. It is being perfect. And whenever and wherever and with whomever we lack the capacity to love, we fail to meet the standard. We fall short of the mark that God has set for us. And Failing to meet the standard invokes God's justice. Now, some of you listening to me today don't want to think of current events in terms of God's justice. But when we look at what's going on in America today, it would be a mistake to overlook the justice of God coming to America in these events. In terms of this pandemic, this virus has people anxious and afraid, not just for their physical health, but for their emotional and economic health as well. African Americans were disproportionately jobless before this pandemic. But now, unemployment has swollen to depression proportions. America's economy is tanking, and no amount of stimulus packages are enough to stem the tide. Innocent blood was already staining our streets. But now, poor and marginalized people of all races feel a deeper sense of desperation, which is leading to expanding waves of violence. Generations of poor diet and uncontrolled underlying health conditions have been exposed by this virus and led to higher mortality rates among African Americans.
And while empires debate the merits of health care for all, this virus has exposed the ugly underbelly of greed, meanness, and exploitation that's the hallmark of this nation. And then beyond this virus, the sick psychosis of American imperialism and paranoia has brought back to the surface the deepening suspicion and fear of one race against another, which has resulted in indefensible cruelty, driving while black, riding while black, running while black, walking while black, standing while black, sitting while black, shopping while black, playing while black, eating while black, sleeping while black, in the public while black, in your own house while black, being black while black. Our government has done some terrible things, black and brown, children have been pulled from their parents and are being kept in cages for indeterminate lengths of time simply because they were pursuing a better quality of life. It's more than criminal, it is sinful. And my brothers and sisters, unrenounced sin carries consequences. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. A lot of people are asking the question, how much worse can things get? But I've come to tell you that unless we're willing to make a change, things can and will get worse. But there is available to us a message of mercy in the midst of God's justice. Consider the case with God's people in the Isaiah text. They've fallen short of God's standard of generosity and grace toward each other. The time of this writing is around 742 B.C., some 21 years before Israel's fall to the Assyrians and 156 years before Judah's fall to Babylon. Both nations were on a collision course with God's justice. And it was because neither nation had lived up to God's standard. Over the span of generations, starting with Abraham, God promised that Israel would be a special nation, blessed by God and a blessing to other peoples. Through them, the world would come to know and to worship the true and living God. But again and again, God's people failed to live up to the terms of the agreement. And in this prophetic word of Isaiah, God's justice demands an accounting. Hear God today. I had children and raised them well and they turned on me. My people don't know up from down. Shame, misguided, God dropouts, staggering under their guilt baggage. 
gang of miscreants, band of vandals. My people have walked out on me. My people have turned their backs on the holy of Israel. My people have walked off and never looked back. Why do you even bother trying to do anything when you just keep on going in your bullheaded way? You keep beating your heads against brick walls. Everything within you protests against you from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. Nothing is working right. Wounds and bruises and running sores, untended, unwashed, unbandaged. My brothers and sisters, I wonder if we have the spiritual ears to hear what God is saying. So many want to blame God when things go wrong in their lives. You, you hear them saying, I don't know why God would let this happen to me. I don't know how a good God could allow certain things to happen. But before you question God, take the time to check yourself. Ask yourself, have you lived up to your covenant agreement? You see, Jesus' church is the new Israel. And the charge given to us is the same as that which God gave to Israel. Lead people out of darkness into God's marvelous light. But if we are going to fulfill our purpose, if we're going to effectively witness Jesus to the world, then the world is going to have to see us living Jesus every day. We need to remember that Jesus established a covenant with us. As I have loved you, so should you love one another. So if we are to fulfill our purpose, we must lovingly witness Christ to them, not just with our words, but with our living. If we are to fulfill our purpose, we must lovingly serve and commit ourselves to the betterment of all people by showing them that God cares because we care. If we are to fulfill our purpose, then we must lovingly but firmly speak truth to power and remind them that power is a stewardship responsibility. And if you can't be trusted to use it right, then it can and will be taken away. If we are to fulfill our purpose, then we must lead in the love of Jesus and not just follow in the way of the world. We must lovingly work to transform lives and situations and circumstances and expectations and not conform to the mediocrity and frustration of the status quo. We are under a divine covenant with Jesus Christ to love people as he has loved us. But before we can help others, we've got to be straight ourselves. People are searching for something that will satisfy their longing and their search has led them to make some drastic errors. The search has led some to substance abuse and others to people 
abuse. The search has led some to crime and others to violence. The search has led some to crave money and others to crave power. People are searching and the church has the answer to what they're searching for. That's Jesus. But just like Israel and Judah, the church is not living up to the covenant agreement. We're not loving people without limit and without restriction. We're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're not trusting God with all our heart and leaning not to our own understanding. We're not speaking the truth in love so that the whole body will grow and become more like Christ. We are missing the mark. And the consequences of missing the mark is that God will invoke justice. Israel and Judah failed to live up to their covenant agreement. And through Isaiah, God gives a word of justice. Justice, in case you didn't know, is the consequence of our failing to meet God's standards. You'll find God's word of justice in verses 13 through 15 of this first chapter of Isaiah. Listen to what he says. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbath, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You have worn me out. I'm sick of your religion. Religion, religion. Wow, you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or how loud or how often you pray, I won't be listening. And do you know why? It's because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. You need to go home and wash up. You need to clean up your act. My brothers and sisters, you need to hear God's word of justice today. God has provided all that we need to do, and he has called us to do his work. But like ungrateful children, we are rebelling against God. And this word of justice is that judgment is coming. In fact, it is here. He tells them, I've chastised you time and time again, but you've ignored my warnings. You didn't believe the things were going to get worse, but I've come to let you know that judgment is coming. Well, as I hurry on to a close, I'm happy to report that just as God is a God of justice, justice doesn't have the final word. After justice has spoken, God also has a word of mercy. And the thing that I want to leave you with this morning is that mercy prevails over justice. While justice is a response to our having missed the mark, mercy is the promise of another chance despite our having missed the mark. Justice suggested that it was all over, but when justice finished its report, there was a word from mercy. Mercy. 
And mercy said, give them another chance. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is more than a God of justice. I'm glad that he's a God of mercy because I've learned justice doesn't get me where I'm trying to go. Justice condemns me, but mercy pardons me. Justice binds me, but mercy sets me free. Justice says that I'm hopeless, but mercy says I love you too much not to give you another chance. God says to them in so many words, yes, you've turned your back on me. Yes, you've gone against my instruction. And the justice in me says that you should be destroyed, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. I've provided a cure to what ails you. Come, sit down. Let's argue this thing out. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you willingly obey, you will be like kings. What is this remedy? What is this cure to what's killing us? The answer is Jesus. Jesus came to provide an escape from justice. I was sick and I couldn't get well. I was down and I couldn't get up. I was lost and no one could help me find my way. But when it looked like all was lost, God sent somebody. God sent Jesus. And Jesus made a way for me out of nowhere. Jesus picked me up. Jesus turned me around. Jesus touched my heart. Jesus saved my soul. Jesus took sin's cancer from my spirit and turned my life around. And so I say, like the prophet says, come, let's reason this thing out. Come and let Jesus fix it for you come and let him open doors for you that are closed against you come and let him make a way for you out of no way if you come he'll put clapping in your hands if you come he'll put running in your feet if you come he'll put praise on your tongue if you come he'll cause joy bells to ring in your heart i know that god is a god of justice but i thank god that he's also a God of mercy. And for me, mercy has a name. And that name is Jesus. Somebody praise him this morning. Amen. Amen. The name of the song is Bless That Wonderful Name of Jesus. Oh, there's no other name I know. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. 
Jesus, oh, bless that wonderful name. 